My name's Mark, and I want to greet you if you're here for the first time, and uh, greet those who are watching online. And if anyone is out there in watching land, watching for the first time, <laughs> we want to greet you there too. I have two things that I uh, get to do here. First, I'm going to introduce the new sermon series that we're starting next week, and then I'm going to introduce uh, our preacher, our speaker, this morning. So next Sunday, we are starting a new sermon series called Follow Me. It's a series in the Gospel of Mark. Now, there are four different Gospels in the New Testament. Why the Gospel of Mark? What is it that's unique about Mark? All the Gospels are focused on the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. But Mark, I think you'll really enjoy it. If you're not familiar with Mark, it's fast-paced, it's action-packed, Mark narrates stories and teachings to put Jesus on display for us. And as we read through the Gospel of Mark and work through it together, Mark, the writer, is going to give us really two questions over and over. Who is Jesus and what is a disciple? So who is Jesus? We're going to watch Jesus traveling. We're going to listen to him teach. We're going to see him do miracles. We're going to hear him call disciples. We're going to see him constantly opposed and most importantly, we're going to see him die and rise again, revealing himself as the suffering servant and the king of kings. But what does it mean to be his disciple? This is a really important question. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, we're going to let Mark, the gospel writer, instruct us and help us understand and hear what Jesus has to say to us about that. So that's a little bit about the Gospel of Mark, but I, I want to just sort of set this in the frame of why are we doing this here and now? You know, we've got 66 books to pick from in the Bible, lots of topics, lots of things we could talk about. Well, I want you to understand a little bit about why this series now. And, and, and for the first thing I would say is simply we, we want to focus on Jesus, which in a sense we, of course, always want to do. But if you think about where we've been, if you've been with us for a while— we have been through this year, Genesis 1 to 3, Ecclesiastes, Psalm 119. So we like to go Old Testament, New Testament. So it's time to move into the New Testament. But almost a year and a half ago, two churches combined to become one. And as we, as we come to this, this moment in our new church history, we want to make sure that we lay clearly and firmly the foundation of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone and the foundation for our congregation. We also are aware that we live in a time when lots of people have lots to say about what it means to be a Christian. Lots of people say they're Christians and live that out in lots of different ways. But what does Jesus say about who he is and what it means to follow him? What does the Bible have to say about what it really means to be a Christian? We're going to find that answer provided to us through many different stories and teachings as we go through this gospel. And that means that if you're here and you're not sure about Jesus, this is going to be a great study for you. We want to encourage you to join us and keep coming back for this. And if you have a friend, you know someone who doesn't know exactly what they think about Jesus, aren't sure about Jesus, like the, the young man that Michael just mentioned to us, if you know someone like that, I want to encourage you to invite them to to join us for this, this time and this, this study. Sometime between now and next Sunday, I wonder, would it be possible for you to read the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters? And if it's not possible, maybe to get it 
read, would, it be, would there be time at least to listen to it and begin to soak in this wonderful gospel? So I'll give you next Sunday, we'll start the series and we'll do, do an overview. Today, though, we're finishing our series, our five-part series in Psalm 119, and Adam Supis is going to bring the message for us this morning. Go for it. Yeah. So, Adam, Adam, where are you? There you are. Okay. Just want to make sure we didn't lose you. Uh, Adam, Adam serves. We have 11 elders uh, that provide uh, shepherding and oversight for our church. Adam serves as one of those elders. Adam and his wife, Amy, lead a community group. Adam is involved in our church's ministry to teens, which is called 515. He's a graduate of UVA. Come on, like, there's either got to be, like, cheering or booing or something. Like, come on, are you there? Did you guys win yesterday? Wow. Okay, are they, like, where are the fans? Okay. Come on, guys. We'll keep moving. Uh, Adam serves as an attorney for the FCC. They, uh, Adam and Amy have four kids. Two are off at college, Jacob and PJ, and Will and Bailey are here. Adam roots for sports teams from Arizona and Washington, D.C., so he is acquainted with disappointment. <laughs> as he comes to bring the word, as I've gotten to know Adam, Adam, two things I really love and appreciate about you. I love your joy. To be around you is to be around a joyful person, someone with the joy of the Lord. And I love your wisdom. I always benefit from our conversations, and we're looking forward to having you bring the word to us. So come do that. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Just finished an encouraging conversation with my wife about all the awful things that might happen while I'm on stage. What if, what if, you know, you have to go to the bathroom or what if you have an appendicitis? Really hope none of that happens on the first time. Um, so bear with me here. I know we're a long ways away from Christmas, but it's been really hot outside lately and I've been thinking about cooler times. So Christmas, it's cooler. When I think about Christmas, one of the things that comes to my mind in terms of the popular culture is a movie called A Christmas Story. Have you know the movie? Okay. It's, it's not about Jesus, but it's become kind of a, an American Christmas tradition. It airs in a 24-hour marathon sessions on cable television, right? Sequels have been made. It's been turned into a, a play and a, a Broadway musical. It's mainly about a nine-year-old boy, Ralphie. Ralphie is trying to get a very particular Christmas gift. A Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. There's three things you need to know about Ralphie. One, he needs that gift. Two, he thinks he knows who can help him get it. Three, he is going to get that help. Ralphie schemes. He thinks, he works to get that help. He goes to his mom and pleads. He writes a paper for his teacher at school, trying to get her on his side to get the gift. He even asks the department store Santa Claus. Now, why am I talking about Ralphie? Because we're just like him. We're all full of needs, desires. If we're Christians, 
We know where to go for help. So we need to go get that help. Ralphie's need wasn't a real need. Oh, but his desperation for that, that was very real. We all have real needs, right? Deep needs. We all need help from God. And we all need God. Where do you need God to help you? Where do you need God to hear you? Today, we'll conclude this short series in Psalm 119. We've been seeing how God hears and helps his people by speaking to them through these inexhaustibly rich words in the Bible. Here's the takeaway. Because God shepherds us by his word, we need to let him hear us, and we need him to help us. Josiah Lawrence is going to come and read our passage for today. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, do what only you can do. Our souls are restless till they find their rest in you. So God, may we find our rest in you, in your word, in your truth. And God, may in that rest, we see our need in an ongoing, desperate way for your constant fellowship and help. And may we cry and plead to you, confident that you hear us, that you call us to cry and plead in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, don't close it. We're going to work our way through this passage in just two minutes. But first, I want to show you how these, these big themes of need and bringing that need to God are all over this passage. First, I want you to see and hear all the desperation, all the feeling and emotion that are here, the need. All these expressions that point back to the word of God. Listen and look. Let my cry come before you. Let my plea come before you. My lips will pour forth praise. My tongue will sing of your word. I long for your salvation. Your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. I have gone astray. Second, I want you to see and hear all the psalmist is asking God to do here. All requests tied to the word. Give me understanding. Deliver me. Teach me. Help me. I long for your salvation. 
seek your servant. In this passage, we see a person in desperate need and desperately bringing that need to God. This passage is an instruction for us. It's an example for us. Because God shepherds us with his word, we need to let him hear us. We need him to help us trust him. I believe God's given me two points for today. God, hear me, and God, help me. Let's dive into the text. And if you haven't seen the movie, yes, Ralphie gets the gun. (laughs) First, God, hear me. Verses 169 to 172. Because God shepherds us by his word, we need to let him hear us. What's going on here is that the psalmist is desperately asking to be heard by God. He's expressing confidence that God's word will cause him to overflow, to praise, and to proclaim. He gets loud, so don't worry if I get a little loud. He says, hear me. I need understanding and deliverance. He says in 169 and 170, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. He's crying. He's pleading in these verses. A plea is a request made in an urgent and emotional way. He's loud. Prayers that are prayed only in your mind, those are fine. But this psalmist needs to let them out. The author is desperate. His prayer is like the cry of a baby. Now, I have some experience with crying, having having cried myself. I am also a father to four kids, and I've heard a lot of crying. I've recognized that my kids' cries are all unique. And I, I should be ashamed to admit this, but I actually found a lot of amusement in the cry of one of my kids. Some of them were really grating, but one of them in particular, his cry, it didn't sound like a baby's cry should sound, I didn't think. It sounded, it sounded more like a, a, a small lion or, a, or an angry sheep. Um, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, kind of a wah, 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 wah. God hears our cries. He's a much better father than I am. <laughs> the, author, the author asks that his cry and his plea would come before God. Now, God hears everything we say, but this, this means something different than that. So think about the Supreme Court. Some of you think a lot about it, but most of you maybe not. Think about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, for the most part, gets to choose what cases it will decide. It might get 10,000 requests in a year, but it might only choose to decide one or 2% of those cases. So 98% or more of those requests, they never get heard. And if you're in one of those 98%, you're seeking the court's help, and you find out you're one of the 98%, you have no way of getting heard. But that's not the psalmist's situation. And through Christ, it's not our situation either. We get to be heard. 
In verse 169, we see he wants understanding. From all we've read, he's got some understanding, but he isn't settling for what he thinks he knows. Look, he's, he's saying, teach me, give me this understanding. And he's not just asking for understanding. Verse 170, he's also asking for deliverance. Understanding is inward. Deliverance addresses an outward situation. And the psalmist begs this to be according to your word. He says it twice. Understanding and deliverance that are according to God's word are going to be in harmony with the word. We recently had a guest over for dinner at my house. And during the evening, my son said something that put me off. It, it bothered me. I felt like he was criticizing me. I was upset by this, and I wanted to correct him, confront him, and let him know that he had offended me. But I've learned that in times like this, when you're feeling emotional, those aren't always the best times to correct somebody or confront them. So I didn't that night. I, I prayed. I asked God for help. I asked God for understanding. And I went to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night. My emotions had settled. But more than that, God, God gave me understanding according to his word. And that understanding, it helped me understand my son. See, I thought about the situation. And I thought about 1 Corinthians 13, that love is kind. And I realized what my son had been doing, saying, wasn't meant to criticize me. No, it was actually meant to be a help and a kindness to our guest. And having that understanding made my conversation with my son so, so much better. When you need help, understanding or deliverance, where do you look? Your experience, your friends, Google? Do you pray? Do you pray and pray persistently and pray desperately? Do you pray first? And do you look in the word? I can be so quick to look many places before I look to the word to go many places before I go to the Lord. My experience, my knowledge, my competence. The psalmist demonstrates that because God shepherds us by his word, we need to let him hear us. By grace, I'm striving to let him hear me, to ask him to help me first. Some of you are in desperate need, and you know it, and you're crying out. And you may be thinking, I can't pray anymore. Or maybe you're thinking, I guess I need to pray just a little more. Stop. This is not meant to correct you. Our God is merciful. He knows we're limited. He made us that way. He knows our needs. I'm just asking, do we bring all those needs to God? This pleading we see 
and this crying, Jesus lived this out. It says in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. When Jesus was on earth, he knew the need in this world, this fallen world. So he cried, he cried and he pleaded. And notice it says he was heard because of his reverence. Well, we're not reverent, at least not perfectly reverent. But if we've trusted Christ, our prayers will be heard because we've been reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Next, the psalmist says, you're going to hear my praise for your word. Look at 171 and 172. My lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. He's cried for understanding. He's pleaded for deliverance. And now he's looking forward to when his lips will pour forth praise and when his tongue will sing of God's word. That future praise doesn't depend on the psalmist getting everything he asks for. And when we cry out to God, we might not get everything we ask for either. We might feel rejected like Ralphie felt for a while in a Christmas story. I'm not trivializing those prayers. No, it's, it's hard when prayers seem unanswered. But the psalmist is hoping, expecting something even more. He's looking forward to the goodness of God. He knows it's there. He knows it's coming. It hasn't all been fulfilled yet, but it's going to be really good. And it's intimately tied to God's word. And he's going to send a thank you note. He's going to praise God for it. Over the top, pouring forth praise, exuberant praise, spontaneous. The kind of praise that overflows during worship. When the richness of the lyrics and the joy in our hearts and the move of the Spirit leads us to praise God for things even beyond what we're singing about. God's going to fuel his worship with the word. And knowing that, having that hope, will sustain him in the in-between time. In verse 171, we see that God's going to lead him to praise by teaching him the word. God teaches God enables us to know. And, and the word is living and active. So it's the power of God. It's here for us. It'll bring joy. Here are some of the ways, actually, Stephanie did a great job earlier. The ways that our church is helping us to be taught the word, literally, these ones are all starting in the next two weeks. Two women's Bible studies, a men's Simeon trust study, classes in systematic theology, the book Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, plus grief share, community group, and there'll be more to come. Sign up. You'll get a link in the email going out later today. And the word's doing more than just teaching. We see in verse 172, God's going to fuel his worship with the word because it's right. It's right. In this psalm, we've encountered many words for word of God, and each highlights an aspect of its perfection. The word word here is commandments. Commandments means you do what you're told. 
God has authority to tell his image bearers what to do, and obedience is the attended response. Believe it, live it out. And these commandments in verse 172, they're right. They're right because God's right. These words are unlike any other words. They express God's righteous character, what he's like, and his will, what he expects and requires. Some translations say righteous instead of right. You know, the commandments of God are the essence of righteousness. So the psalmist lets it dazzle him. And as he lets the rightness of God's word dazzle him, what's going to build is desire, is praise. Church, does God's word bring you to praise? Wow. Obviously. Does God's word bring you to praise? <laughs> I want to celebrate with you that I see and hear a lot of praise around here. From exuberant worship on Sunday morning to community group meetings to casual conversations, the teaching of God's word and the rightness of his word has led us to praise him. So the application from this section is clear. We must let God hear us. If we want what the psalmist wanted, we should plead and cry and praise like he did. God wants to hear from us daily, hourly. It can't possibly be too often. Pray when we're together, when we're alone. When we're happy, bring him our happiness. When we're sad, bring him our sadness. When we fall, bring him our confession. If we're disappointed or confused or questioning or numb with grief or paralyzed with anxiety, bring it to him. And all the things that are in our lives, things that consume our time and attention and money, bring those to him too. Bring him your calendar, your budget, your to-do list, your hobbies, your dreams, your fears. Pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Let it guide your prayers. As you read your Bible, pay attention to sections you can pray. Mark them. Memorize them. Pray parts of this psalm. The Lord Jesus, in a moment of great need on the cross, cried out to God from the word, Psalm 22, then died and rose again so we can follow his example, empowered by the Spirit, and plead and cry out to God according to his word. So let's let him hear us. Our second big point is God help me. Because God shepherds us by his word, we need him to help us. The psalmist has asked God to hear him. He's still desperate. His desperation is expressed in that most basic human cry, help. He says, help, I need you. Look at verse 173. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Let your hand be ready. A hand's being ready conveys the idea that he needs God to be near and strong. God's not only personal, but powerful. And here's a wonder of the gospel. We have all the strength and nearness and help we need. Is Jesus strong enough? John 1, 3 says all things were made through him. Is Jesus near enough? Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Is Jesus helping? Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus always lives to intercede for those who come to God through him. Now hear me. There's an important caveat. This help, this life, this salvation, this rescue, he's asking for it as one who's aligned himself with the helper. These urgent pleas are coming from a person of faith. The one who's pleading to God is following God. Look at the text. In verse 173, he requests help for I have chosen your precepts. In 174, God's law is his delight. In 175, he asks that God's rules help him. In 176, he says, seeks rescue for I do not forget your commandments. I find this personally challenging. How many times, how many times have I not chosen his precepts? How many times have I forgotten his commandments? How many times before God saved me, and even since I became a follower of Jesus? One recent morning, I prayed and read my Bible and then came right downstairs and sinned all over my daughter with unkind words. It was maybe two minutes. I am needy. I needed help before I fell, and I needed help when I fell. Can you relate? But by the grace of God, I know where I've chosen to find help in life. I often find myself saying something Peter said to Jesus in John chapter 6 near the end. This has been one of the most precious passages of Scripture to me. Verse 68, Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. As Christo said last week, it's not a matter of performance or perfection, but direction. I think this almost can relate to. He's saying basically, I've trusted you, God. You've got to come through for me because that's the kind of God you are. What does he need all help for? Everything. The request couldn't be any broader. Look at the things we see him pleading for in the text. He wants life. See in verse 175 where he says, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Just saying life is pretty much all-encompassing. But it's a particular kind of life. It's soul life. Let my soul live. And again, Jesus is the final answer to the psalmist's plea. Jesus is real life for the soul. Knowing Jesus and the Father, that's eternal life. He wants life. He wants salvation. Look at verse 174. He says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. He longs for salvation. The Bible speaks of Christian disciples as having been saved in the past, justified when we trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. But it also says that God's people are saved in the present and will be saved in the future. Singer-songwriter Chris Rice illustrated this longing in one of his songs. Hear these lyrics. You're all I have. You're all I know. 
Your breath is breathing in my soul. Still, I'm gasping, aching, asking, where are you now? Because I just want to be with you. I just want this waiting to be over. I just want to be with you. And it helps to know the day is getting closer. And friends who are struggling and longing for that day, know that it is coming. Jesus will ultimately satisfy this longing. For salvation, with salvation, in his heavenly home, our heavenly home. But right now, one way God saves us is helping us resist temptation to sin. Those rescued by Jesus are commanded to live by the Spirit and put to death a sinful way of life. And yet, in this life, we each have a sinful nature, and we each face temptation. Jesus suffered when he was tempted, but he never sinned. Because of that, he's able to help us when we're tempted. Call to him. Call to him. All to him. He hears. He understands. Where have you chosen to find help in life? There are some here who might hear, I long for your salvation and wonder, what is he talking about? You may be brand new to Christianity. You may have been attending church, reading the Bible, even praying for a long time. And that's great. You're welcome here. But religious activity without a relationship with God, it won't save you. Attending church, serving, giving, these things won't bring you reconciliation with God, won't bring you life. No, God himself is the source of rescue and real soul life. Apart from God, apart from Jesus, we're without help. We need a savior from sin, both because sin makes us guilty before a holy God and because we don't have the power to overcome it on our own. Jesus alone can save you from sin's penalty and rule in your life. We must each receive Jesus or else we reject him. If you've never trusted him, I urge you today, ask him for mercy, turn from your way to him, acknowledge and welcome him as the risen savior you need and confess him as Lord of your life and be glad. The psalmist wants life. He wants salvation. He wants rescue. Hear these words in verse 176. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. If I'm being honest, the first seven verses of this passage can leave me feeling so, so immature. How weak is my faith and my passion? This verse helps me see the psalmist shares my predicament. He says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. He's strayed. He's gotten off track somehow. Two things about this are striking. First, he admits it. 
You know, in the days before GPS, some of us had a reputation for not wanting to admit when we were lost, not wanting to ask for directions. But he admits it. We need to admit it too. The second striking thing is that he compares himself to a sheep. Now, most of you know this. Sheep are not particularly impressive creatures. I'd much rather be compared to a, a tree or a deer, but a sheep. So among their weaknesses, sheep get lost easily. They might get scared and just run away from the flock. They, they might just get curious and wander away. They might be eating and not even realize that they've wandered away from the flock. This sheep, the sheep is lost. But he's still a sheep. And that's a good thing. Because he's a sheep of the Lord. And he has hope because of that. that he's going to be sought. He's going to be brought back. And the good shepherd, Jesus, he won't lose any of his sheep. Not after he laid down his life for them. So we've come to the end of the psalm. He's pleaded, God, hear me. And God, help me. But this passage isn't just eight verses in Psalm 119. No, it's the final eight verses, and it's placed at the end for a reason. Let's look back to where we began. First two verses of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And see where we end up. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commandments. From the beginning of the psalm, we see blessedness lies in pursuing God in a blameless way to the end. But no matter how great our aspirations to obey, to keep the Lord's word in the forefront of our minds and lives, we remain to the end sheep, totally dependent on God's living and active word. We need a shepherd, and he shepherds us by the word. This is a special day for you, for me. Actually, I don't know if it's a special day for you. I hope it is. It's a special day for me. It's a special day for me because I get to see you guys. It's a special day for me because I get to be here and preach. It's also a special day for another reason. It's Labor Day weekend, 2022. Labor Day weekend, 1997, was the first time I ever came to this church. 25 years ago to the Sunday. I remember who preached. I remember who greeted me. There have been a lot of ups and downs in the 25 years since then. Um, I've, uh, <laughs> I've, been through the death of a couple of parents. Um, I've experienced uh, serious depression, uh, job loss, uh, serious sin, doubting, relational problems, health problems. There have been a lot 
<laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of good stuff, too. Really, a lot of good stuff. <laughs> but I've gone astray. I've needed God to rescue me. And he has. There have been many cries to God, hear me, and God help me. And he has. He's heard me. He's helped me. He's given me understanding and deliverance, taught and dazzled me, given me life and salvation and rescue. And there has been praise. Jesus is still with me after these 25 years, and I'm still with him because he has the words of eternal life. So many of you can relate to my experience. Because God shepherds me, us, with the word. We have let him hear us. And we received his help again and again. Where do you need God to hear you and help you today? If your life is battered by some sin, worry, bitterness, ungodly anger, Lust, lying, procrastination, prayerlessness. Plead for help. Say, I'm yours. Hear me. Help me. Is it some suffering? Relational rift? Threat to your health or your life even? Plead for help. I'm yours. Hear me. Help me. Maybe things are going well. Maybe you can't think of anything to pray for. Maybe you feel young and strong and capable Believe me, you have needs. Ask God to show them to you. Say, I'm yours. Hear me. Help me. You can do this. You must do this. Because God desires you to come. Because he shepherds you by his word to come. Finally, I urge you to listen to the word. This is a practical point. Listen to the word. The word of God brings understanding and deliverance. It brings us to praise. It brings life and salvation and rescue. Some of us don't think we're good readers. We may have dyslexia, some other reading disorder. We may find it really hard to develop a habit of Bible reading. If that's you, I, I sympathize. I I still want to urge you, press on into the word. But all of us, all of us can listen to the word. We all have access to the Bible on electronic devices. We all have time when we're walking or driving or working or relaxing and we're listening. Listen to the word. Listen to sermons. Listen to worship music. And listen even to Christian music that might not be considered worship music. Of course, we need to be discerning here because there's a lot of bad theology out there. But I've been immensely helped by listening to the songs of people who've let the word work in them. I mentioned Chris Rice earlier. Talk to me later. I'll give you some other names. And I'm not alone. Recall the testimony of Leah James a few weeks, months ago at her baptism. She said, driving home one night, I turned on the radio to prevent an anxiety attack starting to come over me. I listened to worship music and a late night sermon. I parked my car and cried out to God. I pleaded for help. And in that moment, God softened my heart. Listen, 
And what you hear, think about. And what you think about, pray about. Because God shepherds us by the word. We need to let him hear us. Let him hear you. Let him help you. Amen.